I'm going to read three passages. The first one is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 21 and to 23. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. But there is another order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. The second one from Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. I want to know Christ and experience that mighty power that raised from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. The third one is from Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Thank you. I had a friend who went into a jewelry store one time, and she was looking for a cross. I had carried a little cross with me, and this is probably the third one I've had over my lifetime. They keep breaking or something. She went into to a jewelry store, tried to find a cross, and she asked the attendant, um, I see the chains, but where are the crosses? And she said, oh, they're over here in this case. Do you, do you want one with a little man on it, or do you want just a plain one? <laughs> it kind of belied her understanding of her unfamiliarity with the Easter story. Uh, and quite honestly, I prefer one without the little man on it. <laughs> you know, the, the cross was uh, only used for about six hours before Christ was transferred to the tomb before nightfall. It was a borrowed cross, probably had been used many times before. But uh, today we're going to look a little bit at the, the cross, the tomb, and the resurrection, and how Christ changed the meaning of these uh, forever. The cross uh, is an iconic symbol for us today. But it wasn't always so. Before Christ, the cross represented the worst mankind could do to a person. The cross was used to terrify subjugated peoples. The Roman Empire uh, sought to intimidate and uh, bring great fear in the hearts of those that they were ruling over. The purpose of a crucifixion was to erase an individual from the memory of humanity to try to treat them as if they didn't deserve to live. They should be eradicated and forgotten. Every time you mention the word cross, uh, it wasn't actually brought up in polite company, even in Rome, because it was so horrible. People walking by the crucified people yelled insults at them, threw stones and sticks at them, spit on them. And maybe that was the only way to really rationalize what was happening. Because a body on a cross was gruesome, inhumane, and ghastly as a spectacle. Matthew 27, people said, look at you now, they yelled at him. 
You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well, then, if you are the Son of God, save yourself and come down from the cross. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. So the king of Israel, is he? Well, let him come down from the cross right now, and then we'll all believe in him. The most comparable kind of execution today that is in the same inhumane category with Roman crucifixion would be the lynching of black people in the southern United States. It was also done publicly. People were actually invited to attend. It was brutal, shameful, embarrassing, terrifying. Insults were hurled at the badly beaten victim. Fleming Rutledge says this, to behold the crucified Jesus is to behold an unprecedented sacrifice of God's Son in an ultimate act of rescue for mankind from their sin. Some people ask, why was it necessary to have such a brutal and horrible and gruesome and ghastly death? There's lots of different ways people can die, but why choose the cross? Well, it represents the true nature of sin as God sees it. Sin ruined everything, your sin and my sin. It was out of God's great love that he found a comparable remedy for sin that involved a Messiah and a cross and a tomb and a resurrection. You know, historically, um, historians can't come up with a single name of anyone that was crucified before Christ. They know that thousands upon thousands were crucified, but they don't know any of their names until Jesus came. He had, not, had he not risen from the dead, we never would have heard of his name either. He would have just been one of thousands of people that were crucified. Henry Blackaby says, think about that moment in Gethsemane from the Father's perspective. All that God had purposed and determined beforehand for mankind was now hanging in the balance. All that he had foretold and signified through the sacrifices of the law and the prophets through godly men like Moses and David and so many others, all that he had demonstrated over so many centuries, all of it led up to this one moment. The time for Jesus' teaching and for the working of miracles had come to an end, and what remained in the Savior's work was that which was the most necessary and the most difficult, the cross. So what actually happened on the cross? I mean, we know Christ died on the cross, but what else was going on at the moment that he perished on the cross. Colossians 2 tells us that he canceled the record of the charges against us and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. 1 Peter 2.24 says he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds we are healed. Galatians 3.13 tells us that Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. And when, when he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. Galatians 5.24 tells us that those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. 1 Corinthians 1.18 tells us the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction, but for we who are being saved, know it is the very power of God. So this cross became the vehicle that God used to rectify the damage begun by Adam and Eve. 
Their sin, begun in the Garden of Eden, has carried through every single generation and every single family line for all eternity. The sin that began in Genesis has permeated every family and every household. So Jesus went to the cross willingly, and he hung on the cross deliberately, and he died on the cross completely because of your sin and mine. It's not about laying a guilt trip, actually. It's not about making you feel bad that our sins caused him to go to the cross. It's about God's unparalleled offer of a resurrected life and the power of God for every repentant person from now until eternity. The cross was something of our doing. The resurrection is God's doing. And he's saying, now, let's put the past behind because I've got a future because of the cross for you. Just as Jesus was about to expire, he shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. So his spirit may have gone to the Father, but his body went to the tomb. The tomb. The tomb was not a grave that we dig six feet under. It was a small cavern hewn out of rock in the sides of hills or grottos. The family tomb was normally reserved for wealthy people who could afford it. It was hewn out of the rock. had several ledges to it. Go to the next slide. It was used um, often. Yeah, do we have a next slide? Do we have pictures? Oh, no. Well, I've got some really great pictures. (laughs) If you can imagine... In your mind, a wall of rock with a hole cut through it and a stone in front of it that could be rolled to seal it over. Some had also wooden doors that could be opened because it was meant for family members to be brought in one at a time as they perished. If you've been to Rome, you might have been to the catacombs underground. Christians and Jews were persecuted. They weren't allowed to be in the cemeteries, so they dug under the ground, and there's thousands upon thousands of of uh, places for bodies to be put underground in the catacombs. You can imagine, God had this all worked out. I was thinking the other day, actually in the car on the way here, uh, if he had been buried six feet under in a casket like we do, would it have been pretty tough to get out of that tomb after three days? You'd have to take your clothes to the dry cleaners. I mean, it would have been pretty dirty. But God had it planned out where all he needed to do was roll the stone away. There we go. Look at that. Rolled the stone away, and out walked a risen Lord. Hebrews 12.2 says, Jesus is the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Try to picture what his body would have looked like on the cross, and most people say you couldn't have really recognized it as human. It would have been so disfigured and bloodied. Just being in a tomb might have been the joy awaiting him just to be in a quiet, dark, peaceful place. But that wasn't what the joy was because he wasn't going to be there very long. That's not his final resting place. The tomb represents the finality of death. It was supposed to be the exclamation mark at the end of Christ's earthly life. The cross was supposed to be a once-for-all death. The tomb was supposed to be the last place where he was going to be placed as his body. 
In fact, in Matthew 27, people were so terrified that perhaps he was going to have something happen and his disciples were going to push the stone away and take him out and claim he resurrected. It said that they requested that they seal the tomb until the third day, prevent his disciples from coming and stealing his body and telling everyone he was raised from the dead. And if that happens, he says, we'll be worse off than we were at the first. So they sealed the tomb and posted guards to protect it. This was, this was a... <laughs> They thought they could keep Jesus down. Weren't they surprised? When we die, Jesus talked about it as sleep. Um, don't worry, Lazarus isn't dead. He's just sleeping, says. Or don't worry, your daughter hasn't died. She's just asleep. Several points in the New Testament, Jesus refers to our kind of death as sleep because we're going to wake up one day. We're going to be standing before him. It's just temporary a death for us. What he experienced was quite different. It was complete death. It was spiritual. It was physical. Every kind of death, he died. He didn't, it wasn't, I bring this up because some people say, well, he was, re, he was resuscitated like the, the daughter or like Lazarus or like others. Says, no, 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 no. Wasn't resuscitated. After three days, you're dead. Dead, dead. He was resurrected, and it's completely different. His body was different. When, when people were resuscitated, they had the same form, the same body. He didn't have that. He had kind of a glorified body, they talk about. Probably, I think his body would have been in between uh, a, a physical that we know and a heavenly that he's going to have, because when Mary grabbed onto him and said, oh, my Lord, my, my Lord, Jesus, she says, uh, don't stop holding on to me. I'm not quite resurrected yet, not quite ascended to my Father, he says. So each person is going to face a second death for their own sins. If you don't believe in this resurrected Christ, you're going to face another death, the kind of death that Christ experienced on the cross. The other death is permanent for eternity where we spend uh, either our eternity with him in heaven or without him in hell. The resurrection, the cross and the tomb and the resurrection The cross and the tomb were supposed to keep him down, dead forever, forgotten to history and mankind. But that wasn't God's plan. The resurrection had been promised. Jesus knew it was going to happen. It wasn't something he could do on his own. He needed the Father to step in and, enter, uh, and, and get involved in his life to bring him back to life. It says in John eleven twenty five, Jesus knew that this is going to happen. He told Mary when, uh, when, he, when he encountered her at, at uh, her brother's death, Lazarus. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And anyone who believes in me will li live even after dying. So the cross and the tomb don't have a little man in them anymore. The resurrected Lord forever changed the meaning for both of them. From capture to release, from death to life, from containment to freedom. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, so you see, just as death came into the world through a man, Adam, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man, Jesus. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised uh, as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. Christ had to raise from the dead first to demonstrate what power is available to all who believe in him. One day he will come back and we will all be resurrected again to a new life, to a new way of living, to a new body, to a glorified body. 
The cross and the resurrection will forever be tied, sorry, the cross and the resurrection will forever be tied together because without the resurrection, uh, there would be no resurrection power without the crucified Christ. And without the resurrection, there's no gospel. The resurrection is at the heart of the gospel. That's what we have to offer people. There is hope because of the resurrection. There is eternal life because of the resurrection. A good teacher dying unjustly on a cross is not really very compelling. But if that good teacher claimed to be the Messiah and proved it by coming back to life after being dead three days, that's it's compelling. It's worth looking at. It's worth investigating. So what does the resurrection mean then? Simply put, it means everything. Romans 6, 9 says, Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. And when he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. Without the resurrection, the cross would still have the power of death and it would reign supreme. Without the resurrection, it would mean that death was more powerful than God. Further, it means that there would be no hope after death if there's no resurrection. So, so what does the cross and the tomb and the resurrection have to do with us? I'm glad you asked. According to Jesus, the cross, the tomb, and the resurrection are a pathway for his people to have eternal life. It's a pathway every believer must follow, a narrow way, Jesus describes, for his followers to seek after, not the broad way that leads to destruction, but a narrow way that leads to life. When Jesus tells those who want to follow him to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him, he's saying that we have to go through the cross to get to him. It means never turning back. It means you're all in. It means fully committed, totally surrendered to him as Lord. Taking up our cross means death to an old way of life and embracing a whole new transformed life through the Christ who died in our place. There's a book written by uh, L.E. Maxwell called Born Crucified. I recommend you read it if you can get a hold of it. It's a story. He tells a story of an American uh, Civil War story back uh, hundreds of years ago. And during the Civil War, George Wyatt was conscripted to go to the front lines. George had six kids and a wife. And he couldn't imagine giving up his life and leaving them all alone. A young man named Richard Pratt offered to go in his place. The army accepted and, joined, and he joined the ranks, bearing the name and number of George Wyatt. Before long, Pratt was killed in action. The authorities later sought again to draft George Wyatt into service, and he protested, and he said, he already died. He said that if the authorities consult their own records as to the fact of his having died in identification with Pratt, his substitute died in his place. And so they said, I, I guess you did. <laughs> they exempted him from service because legally he was already dead in the place of Richard Pratt. He died in the person of his representative so that he could live his life, be a dad and a husband. 
As Christ died in our place, it's an offer of a resurrected life. We take up our cross to follow him. We have that moment in the tomb of reevaluation, of quiet before him, of putting all of the things that are in our life behind, of saying, saying that's the past, and embracing a resurrected life through the power of God, facing the future that he has waiting for us. As believers, we can't get around the cross. We can't avoid it or ignore it or turn it into a symbol of inconvenience or explain it away. We have to go through the cross to get to Christ. Ellie Maxwell, in his book, talks about Christ's followers having been born again only to be crucified with Christ. He died in our place. And when we identify with his death, we can also identify with his resurrected life. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus says in Matthew 10, if you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. Not just a cross of suffering or hardship or solitude, but a cross of victory. The cross is a gateway from death to life. You've been born again. You died, but you live. The cross and the resurrection are inextricably linked. What about this tomb? For we are died, it says, and we're buried with Christ by baptism, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father. Now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we also are raised as he was. I like the picture of believer's baptism. We lower people down into a grave, a symbol, symbolizing death to an old way of life. In order to rise them up, we don't leave them down very long, just long enough. We bring them up to walk in new life, to breathe new air, to become alive with the uh, Christ inside of them. Philippians 3.10 says, I want to know Christ. I want to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. The resurrection is something we can't do. It's a divine act of God. It's impossible to replicate or design or achieve with human effort. So living a resurrected life means that God comes in us resides in us with his wisdom and power and grace, his mercy and his presence. It's a power only accessed in partnership with God through faith and obedience to Christ's direction in our life. So let me ask you, you know about the cross. You know about the tomb. But are you experiencing a resurrected life? Do you have the power of God that he used to raise Christ from the dead in you? Are you facing difficult situations with God's power and wisdom? Do you have bad habits or things in your life that have control over you that you are able to manage with the power of God through self-discipline that he gives us? Do you access the power of God to withstand persecution and criticism and hardship and disappointments? Do you allow God's power to walk, through, walk with you through fears and intimidations, worries and concerns? Sometimes we, we know about the cross, we know about the tomb, but we just can't quite get the resurrected life working in us because we haven't totally surrendered to God. 
It's the power of God and the life of the believer that allows us to live an abundant and full life in Christ. Starts at the cross, moves through the tomb, and embraces the resurrection with the living Christ guiding us and teaching us, loving us, empowering us through his Holy Spirit. Listen as the choir sings. Take a moment of reflection in your own life. Ask yourself if you are experiencing the power of the resurrection in your own life. Has it happened in you? Are you free? Are you experiencing the presence of the living Lord in you today?